0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Boston to speak with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about Boston's chances after getting one back in Game 3 against the Miami Heat. And then we go straight after Game 2 of the Nuggets Lakers to talk with Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Matt Moore of Locked On Nuggets about how that series is shaping up. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Hey guys, we are back with another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the Locked On AFL Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com and at Yahoo Sports. Australia Conference Finals definitely uh, well well in business at the moment with lots of interesting things happening. So we're going to touch on both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference uh, in today's show. So let's get to it. Today's episode is also brought to you by BuiltBar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code Locked On and you'll get ten dollars off your next order. All right, and to talk about the Boston Celtics, we'll start off there in the Eastern Conference Finals. I am joined by John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. After Boston went down 2-0 in the series, they get game three back in Gordon Haywood's return, 117-106. I wouldn't say that it was just the fact that Haywood returned, John, because he had six points, but he was pretty active all over the court. But it was the fact that we got players hitting shots at really high rates. Jalen Brown, 65% on his 26 points. Jason Tatum with 20 points. Another 20-point game from Marcus Smart. Another 20-point game from Kemba Walker. It was just a, it looked a very different sort of Boston mentality after the, uh, the blow-up after game two, after the, the big loss there.
2: Yeah, I, I think, first of all, uh, An added aggression. They're not settling for jumpers in game three. So you had Jalen Brown really attacking the rim. The 60 points in the paint was just a ridiculously huge number for the Celtics. Uh, getting getting into the paint, getting these layups, finishing strong was was huge. Uh, so Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown with his defense. Jason Tatum with his defense and with his passing. Marcus Smart closing the game with eight free throws in, in less than a minute to to close out the fourth quarter. Kemba. Finally hitting, you know, at a at a good clip, hitting for fifty percent. And the Gordon Hayward thing, you know, statistically not putting up a monster line, but five rebounds and four assists, I think, are huge from that position. That's not production you're getting from Shemi Ojale, who got a DNP, and not production you're getting from Brad Wanamaker on a consistent basis, and he only played nine minutes. And that's the effect that Gordon Hayward have. Uh, a stabilizing effect another guy that could pay, that that Miami had to pay attention to and i think just him getting that attention did help and and did contribute to other guys getting uh, a little bit of a better look at their shots
0: yeah, that's the case. When someone gets injured, it's not just about, well, who replaces that guy? It's about who replaces the replacement. So Marcus Smart steps in for Gordon Haywood in the starting five, and you go, oh, Marcus Smart's really, really good. Like, he's a considered a starter-caliber player. But who replaces Smart in the bench? And then you're right. It was you know 20 minutes of Brad Wanamaker. It was you know, 15 minutes of Shemi Ojale. Then Haywood returns, and those minutes disappear. So it's a, a big upgrade in those replacements. Haywood came off the bench in this one. Do you think he'll continue to come off the bench, considering, again, how well those uh, starters all click together?
2: Yeah, I mean, for now, I think not only that, but, I mean, first and foremost, they want to make sure that his minutes are managed properly. So the starters work together. That's one thing. We've seen them. We saw them come out to a pretty good start. We saw them come out to a great start in the third quarter of game three. We've seen those guys play well together. In fact, the the Celtics starting five has been kind of in flux throughout the course of the regular season because there was always one person that was in that mix, and, and a lot of people... Wanted to talk about Marcus Smart as a six-man of the year candidate, and he wasn't even eligible because he started so many games. So starting Marcus Smart is not something that's unusual for the Boston Celtics. They feel comfortable doing that. Hayward coming off of a, basically a five-week layoff, even playing the thirty minutes was just ridiculous. But uh, I think those those were bumped up by an opportunity with a review late uh, to get him a rest and get him back in the game. For now they'll just go with that and see if, if that can work uh, stabilizing the bench is is kind of huge bringing Gordon Hayward in to kind of be a point guard with Brad Watermaker playing off the ball a little bit kind of helps and and Hayward is just not only a guy you have to pay attention to he's tall he can see over the top of when they're playing a zone and they're putting two bigs at the top of the zone he can get into the middle of that zone a lot easier than some of the other guys can so stabilizing with the bench with Hayward for now I think is going to be a good plan.
0: Now, we, I don't think we should get too carried away with this Boston win. Sorry, John, to, to burst your bubble because there is something that yeah, we've got to look at here because Miami shot under 39% from the field in this game and 27% from three. And Boston, you know, they were 54% on their two-pointers. So while Boston's shooting is not a completely outrageous number, Miami is probably going to shoot better than that. But how much of that really poor shooting from Miami and you know, Jay Crowder reverting back to... Uh, End season Boston Jay Crowder. How much of that is um, changeable? How much of that is Boston induced, or is that just a hey look? This is just a game where the shots didn't go in, and things will probably uh, improve uh, in game four. And uh, can that yeah ten percentage point difference in field goal percentage that could easily you know catch up an eleven point margin here. So it's not everything's been sold for Boston because if Miami hits shots at a better rate, then this game becomes a lot closer.
2: Yeah, I mean, I said that I did a post-game podcast. I kind of said that as well, that the, uh, the, the, the Miami Heat shooting kind of failed them. Now, part of that is Boston's doing. Part of it is Miami just never got into any kind of rhythm. Uh, there were a few opportunities that they had late in the game when the Celtics let up that a couple of made threes, makeable threes, open threes, would have changed the entire tenor of the game. So uh, Boston can certainly look at that film and say so they missed a lot of opportunities to put the game away. Once again, with a 20-point lead in the fourth quarter, they kind of let up and stopped attacking. The reason why they shot 54% on their twos is because they kept getting to the rim. It's very easy to shoot 54% when you're getting mostly layups. They stopped doing that at the end of the fourth quarter, and that's when Miami started to make a run. They got lazy, they got tired, they got fouled. Um, and And so Boston has to be aware that Miami's going to shoot better that, than they did so it's up to the Celtics to get out to those big leads and which they do they've done it in the first three games they've gotten out to those big leads now they've got to hold on to it and, and one thing that Hayward did help with and one thing the Celtics did do very well in game three is they they stemmed the tide when Miami went on runs when Miami put together an 11-1 run Boston responded with a run of its own Whereas in games one and two, they completely folded and let that completely get out of hand. And Hayward does have a stabilizing impact on the team in that way. So that certainly helps as well. But Boston doesn't want to have that let up that allows Miami to to, to make these extended runs.
0: How do you think Boston has handled Jimmy Butler in this series? Uh, yeah, Butler, of course, has been a driving force for this Heat team. He's not always going to be a big scorer, but he did have you know, a 30-point game and a 40-point game against the Bucs. His last two here against Boston, 14 and 17 points. He had 20 points in game one. Um, he's not distributing at quite the same level he has. Do you think that they've found a way to neutralize his impact to a degree? Um, in letting guys like Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo take a lot more shots, is, is that something that has been a, a noted focus, or is it just Butler you know, playing maybe a little bit off? Like, w- how do we view the way they've handled Butler so far?
2: I mean, I think they're they're bodying Butler up and they're they're putting Jalen Brown on him uh, a bunch, uh, but there, there's a lot of switching as well and, and preventing him from getting to the basket. I think the Celtics benefited from from a few non calls. Uh, Butler certainly could have gotten to the line and Butler, if he's scoring, that's where he's doing a bulk of his damage, driving, drawing fouls, getting to the line, putting your team in the penalty. So the Celtics in game three kind of prevented that a lot. Uh, I think they're doing a good job staying in front of him and, and preventing him from getting all the way to the basket, uh, at least in the last couple of games. So I, I think they have a stated focus is don't let Jimmy Butler beat you with, with free throws. And as we saw in game three, don't let Goran Dragic beat you with, with penetration. Uh, if they can get those two things kind of stabilized, then they'll just try with their switching along the perimeter to kind of neutralize some of that three point shooting. Like Tyler Hero is going to go off from time to time, but if you can get a night like that from Jay Crowder, then they're going to be, they're, they're going to be happy with that. So I, I think they've done a pretty decent job with, with Jimmy Butler and, and, And I think they also understand that if Jimmy Butler is going to end up taking jumpers, they're kind of okay with that too.
0: Yeah, I think the team should be okay with that. As you said, Butler's going to do that damage by getting to the line you know, 10 times a game versus, you know, we got six there last time, but you know, he's not, you're not going to be overly worried about him taking threes or taking long jumpers because that's not where he does his damage. And Boston you know, you know, has made that uh, made that a real part of their game to try and reduce Butler's ability to do that. And it worked pretty well in game three. So at least we're now we have what looks like could be a good series. Uh, Boston desperately needed game three. They duly delivered. We've got full strength teams going at it, John. So it's going to be pretty exciting to see what happens in game four, and of course, you're going to have it covered for us all over on Locked On Celtics. So thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA with me today.
2: My pleasure, as always.
0: Now, we bring in the host of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Anthony Irwin is here straight after the Lakers win game two on an Anthony Davis three-point buzzer beater. Davis with 31 points in tonight's game two. Anthony, um, he's been great in these first two games.
3: I mean, he's taken this matchup with Jokic personally and, and and frankly Jokic is too. It makes for a really cool dynamic here between two very good teams. Jokic goes thirty, uh, goes for thirty points tonight. Davis goes for thirty-one. Uh, and and they were trading buckets down the stretch. Davis hit two just you know, the, the three, not just the one that he made to win the game, but he also had that step back three from the exact same spot. Uh, earlier that quarter <laughs> Jokic took him straight down to the block and and made him look like a <laughs> like a, a fifth grader going up a going up against a seventh grader it's been a really cool matchup between those two players uh pretty easily i think the two best bigs in the game
0: yeah those those two guys have been your must watch must watch tv through these first two games davis uh, gets the better of jokic in the end here with that game winner um the Lakers, we talked about this last week, how we thought not going up against Houston, we'd see some of the traditional center stuff return. And we've seen uh, some more Dwight Howard and, and JaVale McGee. They combined for about 24 minutes in this game. But it still appears to me that the Lakers are at their most dangerous when Davis is out there manning the five. How can you, um, not, not justify justifies the wrong word, but you know, how, how have these you know, minutes with, Davis and another center out there looked in comparison to when it's just Davis out there running with the, the four wings around him.
3: So I, I think it has moments where it looks really good. There are obviously some, I, I think the minutes with Javale uh just aren't, they're rough, <laughs> aren't really going to work out the series. But, uh, but I, I think there, there are aspects of, of the game that go beyond the back box score that this brings value in. And, and, you know, I think over the course of a seven-game series, if this goes that far, Jokic having to deal with Dwight and the physicality that he presents every single minute that he's on the court. Uh it just even if it doesn't really look like it's super productive in terms of the points that are scored for either team while Dwight is on the court, that just think of it like a boxer. It's just body shot after body shot after body shot that eventually lower Jokic's hands because he's so tired and, and then eventually the hope is that you can throw that knockout punch to, to end the series as quickly as possible
0: what do we make of you know the, the McGee minutes because I agree you know, Howard has been you're really really impressive in the time that he's been out there but it feels like that Vogel is really stubbornly sticking with McGee and, and I say that while acknowledging that he didn't play him during the last series but it's still going back to JaVale I don't really see the purpose of that Howard was a plus 10 in his minutes JaVale was a minus 2 that doesn't always tell the full story but it sort of matches up with what you see on the court. Do you think that even though, yeah the Lakers have won the first two, does JaVale get excised from this rotation at all? Is is it Can they just run Howard and Davis there, or do they need that extra body?
3: Uh, I, I think eventually, like we saw it in the Houston series, right, where Dwight just didn't see the court. And I think eventually we're probably going to get to that point here pretty soon with JaVale that, he's just not going to see the court anymore. Now, does that mean they start with AD at the five? Does that mean they start Dwight to, to even further match up his minutes with Jokic? Cause like Dwight isn't really going to play in, in minutes that Jokic isn't on the court. It just wouldn't make any sense. And then, you know, you're thinking that JaVale could offer some of that physicality, uh, it, in in minutes where Dwight isn't on the court, because I don't think Dwight can play <laughs> the the kind of minutes that Jokic is out there and fully matches minutes, uh, just for fear of sheer foul trouble. But uh, I I would I would probably imagine over the course of the series, maybe even next game, we see some kind of change here where where they go away from Javale. Though you know they did they came they came out pretty quickly and 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 looked pretty good in the first quarter. It's just. I just don't think that is very sustainable
0: now. You, know, you have been rightfully critical of Rajon Rondo throughout the regular season, because let's be honest, he's the worst of the Lakers rotation players throughout the regular season, but he did step it up against Houston. He's playing a lot of minutes here, and they're, you know, another 21 minutes here, another nine assists nine assists in back-to-back games. How how did Rondo look in, in these in these games against Denver? I thought he might struggle to find a, a matchup that would make sense for him, but I think that he's you know, perhaps proven that wrong. Um, is he a viable option to continue playing these minutes? And is uh, the way that he's being used, do you think that is optimal? And he's playing fewer minutes than Alex Crusoe. We saw that again today, which I think is the right call. Is Vogel getting that mix right?
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, you basically play Rondo in the minutes that uh, LeBron isn't on the court, which LeBron played 36 minutes. Rondo plays 21, you know, and, and you know, that winds up adding to, what, 57 so I think there's some overlap between Rondo's minutes and, and LeBron's, but the biggest thing is Rondo's going to share all all of his minutes are basically going to be shared with uh, Dwight Howard's or Anthony Davis, and and so long as you know you have the pick and roll combination there to to take full advantage of what Rondo brings to the table, I, I think it's it's fine there. I, I I completely agree with you that him playing fewer minutes than Caruso, who gets 29 tonight. Uh, is is huge, and you know Caruso has been about as good as anybody can possibly be guarding Jamal Murray, uh, who has played fantastic all playoffs. And you know you basically just give Caruso some minutes on on Murray, uh, you give KCP some minutes on Murray, and you keep throwing different looks at him. And uh, Rondo can't guard Murray at all, so so I think it makes sense that he is is given the, the amount of time he's given. Uh, just for what he brings to the offense and, and you hope that you don't get beat too bad on defense while that's going on.
0: So the Lakers have a commanding lead. Now, Anthony, two games uh, two games up, 2-0 yeah, two, two in this series. Just one other thing that I wanna to touch on with the Lakers though, is the LeBron MVP discussion? I don't want to get into it and debate whether you think he was the MVP or anything like that because it doesn't. At this point, it doesn't really matter what we think because the award's been given. But what did you make of LeBron? You're know, discussing the, the narrative-based voting and how he seemed to be pissed and you know, harkening back to a Defensive Player of the Year award from seven years ago. What did you make of those LeBron comments? That, that to me. They came, they came off a little weird. It was, it was a little bit of a strange discussion that LeBron was having where I thought that some of the votes that he was getting were, were, were more narrative-based than Giannis. What did you make of that whole uh, spiel from LeBron?
3: It's tough. I, I'm not going to hold it against LeBron for thinking he should have gotten more votes for MVP because he's coming off an incredible season. Um, and, and I thought he, I thought he handled the question really well in the sense that like he didn't, he didn't disrespect Giannis for winning, right. He didn't go full Kanye West and say that this award shouldn't go to Taylor Swift. He, he you know, he, he, he respected Giannis winning. Um, he talked about other awards that, that were, you know, and how votes went in other awards uh, and, and talked about just the general process, which I, quite frankly, I, I don't, I don't really see the issue with, with saying that it's a flawed process. If the if the process is only to drive conversation uh, about the league and about those awards, then fine. But given the weight that they have and the conversation that we have about these players' careers, and given the fact that these awards go to, you know, they, they play a role in how much these guys get paid, I, I think the, the NBA should probably rethink uh, either having them involved in the contract uh, in, in contract discussions at all, or, you know, going so far as to, you know, give local beat writers who don't pay attention to the league as a whole, you know, votes that count as much as somebody whose job it is like, like Zach Lowe's vote should probably count more than, than Joe Blow's vote, who is only covering the Charlotte Hornets. And, and, you know, I think in terms of narrative, I, I hate that word so much because yeah. who, who the hell knows at this point what it even means, right? Like, narrative basically to to some people means anything that isn't analytically based. Narrative can mean anything that that isn't tangibly based or or, uh, or statistically based. Narrative can be anything that is about a story about you know non basketball stuff. It, it can be it can mean all of these various things. So I don't even know. I don't. I didn't. I kind of choose not to pay attention to to the semantics of his argument but if you kind of get down to what i think he was trying to say it, i i found myself agreeing with 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 most of it
0: i agree with you on the beat writer sort of stuff i think that the, that is a, a real blind spot and you can see if you just look through the, the voting that was released a couple of days ago you can see where some of those allegiances lie I'm campaigning to get myself a vote because I, uh, I don't cover a particular team. I cover all the teams and I think that's the way it should be done is that someone who is you know, really paying, like if you're watching your know, games from teams, if you're watching the Charlotte Hornets in April, like then that, that, you know, no April this year, but that's the sort of thing that I think is more important that, than paying attention to, you know, what is the biggest story that's driving the most clicks a, a, across the league. So while I understand that that part of it, I, I think some of the stuff came off a little weird from LeBron in that discussion. I know he was asked the question, but I still think it came off a little strange. But Regardless, hey, he is piloting his team here along with Anthony Davis to a 2-0 lead in the Western Conference Finals. The Lakers are rolling their championship favorites. And Anthony, you're going to be covering everything about the Lakers over on Locked On Lakers in the rest of this week and for uh, however long as they are alive, which looks like it's going to be a while in these playoffs. Um, So thank you for coming on Locked On NBA. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. If you are looking for the best tasting protein bar ever, you don't have to look any further because Built Bar is back. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar. You don't need those old school protein bars that taste like cement mixed with sawdust, mixed with dirt. Bilpa is covered in 100% chocolate, is soft and easy to chew, and now they have banged on an additional six flavors to go with their 12 original flavors: caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp, carrot cake. They are the six newies to go along with the 12 original OG flavors. bilbar is a high protein, high fiber, low sugar, low calorie bar. Is great if you're looking to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. Look at the cherry bar bride, a new flavor, 17 grams of protein, a ridiculously low 130 calories, and a poultry 4 grams of sugar and 4 grams of net carbs. So if you go to builtbar.com, you can use the promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use that promo code locked on for 10 bucks off at builtbar.com. Now I'm joined by Matt Moore, one of the hosts of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Matt, that's a heartbreaking way for Denver to go down there in game two after they made that huge effort to come back, take the lead, and then Anthony Davis uh, hits the game-winning three. Just quickly, your first reactions to the uh, what everyone's talking about at the moment is the Mason Plumley blown switch assignment, uh, then footage come out that... Uh, uh, Worldwide Wob had uh, highlighted on his Twitter account that uh, Jeremy Grant had told uh, Plumlee to yeah, be ready to double LeBron and to come in there. And it appears what Plumlee followed. What do you make of, A, putting Plumlee in for defensive-only possession and then that mistake that led to
1: the wide-open uh, Anthony Davis 3? I think it was fine. I think the reaction to this is insane. I'm really confused by this. Like, one, it, Mason had done a pretty good job on LeBron for most of the game. And by that, I mean, like, You do as well as you can. Like he's LeBron James and he's going to hit some stuff and that's fine. Mason is a better defender than Jokic. He's a better defender than most of the players Nuggets have. They need size, obviously to contest on things because of the length that they bring in that clearly they were worried about the slip to LeBron. Like that was obvious. Like if you watch it, you're like for people to go like, you just left him. Like, no. Okay. No. Like clearly he pulls up and is pointing to say, we're switching so that they don't get killed on LeBron slipping the pick to the basket. And the result is a wide-open three. It's like, AD's wide open. AD shot 33% from three this season. He's a 30% career three-point shooter, shooting 39% in the playoffs. Like, they would like to get a handout, sure. But, like, of all the possible outcomes, I'm not stressing about that one. If anything, honestly, this makes me more encouraged Nuggets are going to get at least a game. They're not going to win the series. The Lakers have too many matchup advantages, but it took this sequence of events for the Lakers to get this win in Game 2. I think that's actually going to be pretty encouraging for Denver.
0: Yeah, look, I'm I'm not a massive fan of Plumlee and Malone's complete reliance upon him in defence-only situations, but I also do do think that he was told, you know, watch LeBron. You've got to watch for LeBron rolling to the rim in that scenario. You've got to you know, pay attention to that. I don't think it's worth the absolute outrage that's happening here of yeah, you know, what what is Plumlee doing? That is yeah, you know, an all-time level mistake. I don't think it's at that level. It's obviously a mistake. Mistakes like that happen all the time, but I don't I don't think that you know, what he was. It wasn't like he was going on there to to go and you know really face up. Guard, yeah, Rajon Rondo for a three-pointer. Like he, he's you know, guarding LeBron James on, on a situation where if he gets the ball and he's open there, then it's a, a pretty easy, uh, pretty easy finish for LeBron. So I don't really think that that's all that uh, t- all that much of an issue. But let's talk about it at Denver again. That comeback. Malone goes real deep into his bag of tricks. And we see P-D- PJ Doja come out and really start to have a bit of an impact in this game is that just a case of Malone trying to figure out like oh, we got to do something here cuz we're down 10 here at halftime and and mix things up a bit or is he just have that level of confidence in in Doja to to you know or, or I guess confidence in his level of bench performance to be able to get these guys out there to you know try and mix things up and throw different looks at the Lakers
1: I think it's a bit both. I'm surprised, honestly, that he went to him because Malone is not one to try the whole, like, let's throw out a guy that hasn't played a lot, especially a rookie like P.J. Dozier. It's just not something that he usually goes to. Not really a rookie, but a very young player in P.J. Dozier. Like, that's not something that he goes to a lot. Um, obviously, he feels like there's a defensive limitation in terms of the size. Like, that's been an ongoing issue for Denver throughout really their time. And I think it's evident that Gary Harris is struggling in this series with the Lakers length. PJ's bigger. He's got better length um, and he's able to get back and transition faster and makes plays in that capacity. He'll also push the ball a little bit more. So I understood why uh, he went to him. It was surprising that he made that decision because it's very out of his character, but honestly, I think it's encouraging that he was willing to you know think outside the box because I was expecting him to go down with the ship in terms of a tight rotation. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he plays more in game three.
0: Jamal Murray played 44 minutes and 14 seconds. He was a plus 16 in those minutes. So that means in the other three minutes and 46, the Nuggets were outscored by 17 points. What went wrong in those other three minutes 40, uh 46? So that is a wild uh, discrepancy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, like, look alive is if you. <laughs> Jokic played 38 minutes and 40 seconds. Jamal Murray played 44 minutes. And Murray was plus 16 and Jokic was minus six. Yeah. Like,. The math there is bad. Um, Joker still, I think, figuring out this matchup. He started to figure some things out, I thought, late in the game, obviously, like during that that massive comeback. It takes Jokic a little bit while to figure out about that. The second quarter was kind of where they lost it. The bench pushed things, and Murray was part of that bench unit that really pushed things. That's why you see that Mason Plumlee was a plus one and um, had some actual momentum going with him. And then uh, LeBron goes to the bench Jokic is, comes back in with Dwight and they go on a big run, fueled by by Alex Caruso. So, like, these are the little mini runs throughout the game, I think, that are causing problems. I think the biggest thing is just that, you know, the Nuggets ought to dig in, but I think the Nuggets are really struggling to find scoring in those minutes when he's not on the court because they need guys that can actually create their own shots and nobody can right now, which was a problem in the Clippers series until game four. So, I, it's not surprising that they're struggling with this again. It's going to continue to be an issue. I think that they need Michael, more Michael Porter Jr. Um, but that's really, I think what it comes down to is in those 17 minutes, they're just, or those four minutes, rather, they're just completely uh, out of the ability to manage offense. And then on the other end, Jokic can't hold them up in those minutes where they're not sharing the court because of the Dwight Howard matchup. It's trite to say that you know, the Nuggets have got them right where they want
0: them. Yeah. You know, after coming down from 3-1 in the first two series, this feels a little bit different and you're never going to rely upon you know, con- consistent 3-1 comebacks, but as a positive note, the Nuggets haven't shot well. 34.5% in game 1, 33% from 3 in this game. Um is that a level of a confidence plus the the way that they came back and realistically probably should have had the win in this game is that you know momentum that can build forward for this team heading into game 3 is that they have you know the first game wasn't wasn't great, this one they pushed them, they probably should have had the win and they still haven't really had a really hot shooting game. Is that something that Nuggets fans can hold their hold their hat on and go well okay. If the shots start going in at a average rate, a better-than-average rate, then we're really in this.
1: Yeah, I mean, at half, I was I was leaning more towards maybe they will sweep them, and the comeback, I think, really gives me confidence. Look, if you look back at the history of the Nuggets playoff runs, every time they lose a close game down the stretch, most teams, it's like, oh, that was a heartbreaker. Like, oh, they like, they, how are they going to get back up? Those are the games they respond to best. Like, when they know, like, no, we can do this. We can match up with them. We just got to do what we did in that game. We just got to make a few more shots and not have random things happen and we're going to be right there. I, I would say that they'll probably win game three based off of the, the momentum off of this game. Um, the Lakers, I think will probably just go like, Oh, we're just so blessed. Look at us. Like, ah, oh, everything's just falling into place. Don't get complacent because this team will continue to push you. They're not going to be broken by this. I think that they will continue to push. I would expect them to get one of the next two. What do you think the the one move here,
0: the the major move that Malone needs to make for game three? Is it more Michael Porter Jr.? Gary Harris played only 25 minutes. Does he play more? Does he play less? What's the move that Malone has to make?
1: I mean, I think it's got to be Michael Porter Jr., you know, six and nine from the field, two and four from three. They need three-point shooting. Like, this is a big deal for them is this is now two games where the Lakers have outshot them from three-point range, and that's a problem. You can't have fewer made threes than the Lakers because they don't take many at all. You have to get up more threes, and the only guys that have the ability to kind of create those um, are Murray Porter and Jokic on pick and pops. They're going to need to get more threes up, and Porter Jr. is the only guy that's really willing to shoot them. Um, I think he could have played more tonight and, and given him better minutes. I think that he probably needs to play more going forward. They need more shooters on the court in order to balance it out and provide something to keep up with the Lakers' offense because they're going to continue to pound inside.
0: It is going to be interesting to watch this. We hope the Nuggets can uh, get back in this and make this a series. uh, Really strong comeback and it was exciting to watch down the stretch. Matt, you and Adam will have it covered for us all over on Lockdown Nuggets throughout the week. Thanks for coming on Lockdown
1: NBA with me. Thanks for having me.